Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm John Lutz. I'm an elder here at Bethesda. And to be honest with you, I'm not really much of a preacher. My dad is. He's a really good preacher. But I did not get the same calling as my dad. But I will say, for almost the last 40 years, I've been a Bible study leader. And I remember the day in my room, 21 years of age, I had started going to InterVarsity Bible study and got really convicted. I needed to read the Bible every day. So I actually went, and this almost killed me, I went and I set my alarm clock for 20 minutes earlier so I could get up and read the Bible. And from that day till now, just about every day, and it's my lifeline. And I know for many of you, it's your lifeline, God's Word. Well, tonight we're going to talk about, I just want to be a sheep, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. I remember my kids singing this since they were little at family camp where we go every summer. Mike, you've got a place up by Three Lakes. Go up there and saying, I just want to be a sheep, ba, 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 ba. So I've been thinking a lot about this and, and studying God's word. What does it say about being a hypocrite? You know, we hear in our culture, you hear it all the time, the church is full of hypocrites. How many have ever heard the, somebody say that? Church is full of hypocrites. You know, it reminds me, there's a pastor, and uh, he noticed there was a certain man who hadn't been in church for quite some time. He said, I need to connect with this guy. So he called him up, scheduled a coffee date. They went out to coffee, and they're talking about the weather, and they're talking about the Packers, and pretty soon it's almost time to go. And the pastor broaches the subject. He says, you know, it's been quite a while since you've been to church. We miss you. Why don't you come back? And the man said, well, pastor, to be brutally honest with you, I quit going to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Well, the pastor didn't skip a beat. He said, well, friend, that's okay. There's always room for one more. <laughs> church is full of hypocrites. How many people have heard of ChatGPT? It's this new artificial intelligence website and instead of like Google, where you type in a search request and it gives you all the websites that talk about whatever you're looking for, it's a little different. You type in a question and it gives you an essay to answer your question. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of neat. So I went to ChatGPT, Artificial Intelligence, and I typed in, is the church full of hypocrites? And here's what it said. It was kind of interesting. It says, this is the computer speaking. As an AI language model, I cannot make sweeping generalizations about an entire group of people or organization. It's not fair to assume that everyone in a particular group or organization shares the same characteristics or behaves in the same way. Furthermore, it's true that some individuals who attend church may not always practice what they preach or they may fall short of the ideals they profess. However, it's important to note that hypocrisy is not unique to religious communities and can be found in any group or organization. 
It's important to focus on the individual actions and behaviors of people rather than making blanket statements about a particular group or organization. I thought, well, that's pretty good. That wasn't too bad of an answer. Well, whether the church is full of hypocrites or not, I'm not sure, but one thing is sure. From Romans 2, we learn that all of us are prone to hypocrisy at one time or another. And from God's word, we know that all hypocrites are called to become sheep through repentance and faith in Jesus. Uh, before we get going, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just invite you into our gathering here tonight. We pray that you would speak to hearts through your holy word, that uh, you would use what's going on here and uh, the application of your word to change us from the inside out to make us more like you and to help us be good sheep under uh, you, the good shepherd, in Jesus' name. Well, we're going to look at what does it mean to be a sheep versus being a hypocrite. And there's three main points I want to go over in this Bible study. And the three points are sheep tend to stray. They need the shepherd's guiding light. Sheep have no strength on their own. They need the shepherd's power and might. And sheep, no matter what, are called to follow the shepherd. Well, the first thing we're going to take a look at is some of the things that Jesus said about hypocrites. And so this is coming from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6 and 7. And Jesus actually said quite a bit about hypocrites. So let's take a look and see if we can learn anything. He said, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, because they want to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. And so there's this idea that when you do good deeds and when you give to the needy, when you help others out, it's kind of like, be quiet about that. Don't brag about that. You know, the, if you were in church on Sunday, we started this pressing on campaign to try and raise money to take care of our facility here. And, and we have the, you know, the pledge cards that you can turn in, but we intentionally made them anonymous because, you know, this is what Jesus said. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. I've been surprised, you know, a few times I've turned on Christian radio and they have a segment where they got people calling in telling about all the good deeds they were doing. It's like, I paid for somebody's coffee, or I did this, or I did that. It's like, it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It's like, I'm not sure if the Lord and Savior wants us to be doing that, bragging about our good deeds. Let's keep going here. Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Now, I know lots of us have the opportunity to pray with each other. And I have to check my own heart sometimes because when you're in a group of people and it comes to be time to pray, um, 
You know, are we praying to flatter the people we're praying for? We're praying with? Or are we trying to sound impressive and worried about what everybody else is going to think about what we're saying? Or are we speaking to the creator of the universe who's there with us? Food for thought. The next one, Matthew 6, 16, Jesus says, When you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. And truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. I'm not sure how many of you fast. I'm not going to ask because I don't want to give you a chance to brag. So, But one thing's clear from this passage. You know, in the Lord's eyes, putting on appearances is not real great. He doesn't want us to pretend we're something that we're not. Um, you know, it made me think, does the person you are on Sunday morning match the person you are at home or at work or at school? Here's the last one we're going to look at from the Sermon on the Mount. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Uh, I think it's Josh McDowell who says, this is probably the most quoted Bible verse in the United States today. Judge not, lest you be judged. Because everything is tolerance, right, in our culture. But if we look at it kind of carefully, I'm not sure it's talking so much about judging as it is about being a hypocrite, about thinking you're better than other people. And especially if you do the same kinds of things that they do that you're judging them for. I mean, it raises the question, is it ever okay to judge? And I think from other teaching in the New Testament, you know, clearly church leadership is called to... Uh, exercise discipline against uh, brothers and sisters who are going astray. And we're all called, in Hebrews, we're called to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. But, and of course, Paul said, who am I to judge those outside the church? You know, we are called to not judge those outside the church because they don't know any better. They don't know the Lord. How would they know any better than to do crazy stuff? But I think the thing to remember here is to, you know, keep a humble attitude. The Savior has saved you from much, so have mercy on others. Well, we've been looking at some of the things Jesus taught about hypocrisy in the Sermon on the Mount. And as we've thought about these things, like, how are you doing? Like, have you checked your own heart? How are you feeling? Now, some of you might be thinking, well, none of that applies to me. Well, your sermon is going to be next week. It's going to be about lying. <laughs> now, if you're like me, it's like, oh, Lord, have mercy. Like, there are times that I'm a hypocrite. I know it's true. But we know all hypocrites are called to become sheep through repentance and faith in Jesus. And so that's what we do if we find ourselves being hypocritical. We turn to him and ask for 
forgiveness and ask him to strengthen us and help us. The next thing I want to look at, ever since 9-11, I don't know if anybody else is like this, but ever since 9-11, I've kind of had an interest in end times and what the Bible uh, teaches about the last days and the Lord's return. And interesting, it, it applies to hypocrisy because according to Jesus, it seems that in the last days there's going to be this grand hypocrisy. There's going to be like, true and false believers. Jesus had another famous sermon. It was called uh, the Olivet Discourse. And it's when he, he talked about all the stuff that was going to happen, the signs leading up to the end. And during the Olivet Discourse, one of the parables that Jesus told was the parable of the ten virgins. And so the ten virgins are waiting for the bridegroom. And the interesting thing is they're all waiting for the bridegroom. They're all like, think they're believers in something. But five of them ran out of oil for their lamps. So they begged the other ones, can you give us some oil? We ran out. No, we don't have enough. You're going to have to go find some. So the five that ran out went to go get some more oil. And while they went to get oil and were gone, the bridegroom comes and he goes into the wedding banquet with the five who had oil in their lamps. And the five who had to go find oil were left out. And it's a sobering thing when you consider that they're all waiting for the bridegroom. So the first question is, what do the lamps represent? And the second question is, what does the oil represent? And I've read a good many uh, commentaries on this, and <clears throat> the most consensus about the lamps, it's the good deeds of the saints. And notice that both the true and false were doing good deeds, waiting for the bridegroom, doing good deeds. But half of them ran out of oil, so what's the oil? I think the simplest way to say it is the oil is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And if you think of the day of Pentecost, what was the fire? Oil in the lamps produces the fire. What was the fire on the day of Pentecost? It was the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit in, was the oil in the lamps. Sheep tend to stray. They need the shepherd's guiding light, the light of the Holy Spirit, to lead and guide them. There's also another interesting account by Paul where he predicts what the last days would be like. And this comes from 2 Timothy 3.1. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does any of this sound familiar in our culture? It kind of does to me. But here's the key thing that I wanted to point out. In verse 5, it says, it's on two pages here. No. There it is. Having a form of godliness, 
but denying its power. So here again we see, they thought they were godly people, but they denied the power. So what is that all about? I mean, this is, this is really interesting. In the end times, you got the virgins were waiting for the bridegroom, but they weren't right with the bridegroom. And now you got people who think they're godly, but they deny the power. What's missing? What's the power that they deny? Well, Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, the gospel, Christ shedding his blood for our sins, calling us through repentance and faith to follow him. And in, in Acts 1, it also talks about power. And again, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so sheep have no strength. They need, and it's really true, I mean, sheep don't have much power at all. They need the shepherd's power and might. In the last day, people, last days, people would be deceived. A couple weeks ago, I noticed this interesting passage in 2 Thessalonians. And, you know, we've been talking about people who think they're right, but they're not right. And 2 Thessalonians talks about a, a grand deception that goes out. And if you look at um, well, we'll read it. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And that's what I was thinking about. Signs and wonders that serve a lie. People are deceived. And so I was pondering this, like, what could, like, is there anything in our times that this could be? Like, don't hear about too many, like, miraculous things or whatever. But, but time out. Take, take a look at it from Paul's perspective. Uh, look at our day and age. What if Paul saw, saw this thing? And screen upon screen, upon TV, upon movie theater, upon Best Buy, upon the Internet, and all the stuff... And just think of all the false messages going out. There's a lot of good. I mean, yeah, there's good. And people are using it to spread the gospel. Awesome. But there's also a lot of false messages. So what is the lie? What could the lie be? Um, let me put it this way. Like, if I asked you, what is the most prevalent belief system in our time? What would you say? It's not Christianity, for sure. I asked a few people this question. One person said Islam. One person said Mormonism. Another person said secular humanism. Now he's getting closer to something that I think is the prevailing belief system of our day. And what I would call it is radical self-ism. 
People are into themselves, putting themselves on the throne, demanding their rights. Here's the catechism for radical selfism. See if you've heard any of these sayings before. You do you. Speak your truth. Let your heart be your guide. Above everything else, follow your dreams. And some even, you know, there's denominations that are going into the weeds. Some would even say, Jesus is all loving, period. Or Jesus would never condemn anybody to hell. And the common denominator of all this stuff is that Jesus is off the throne of people's lives and self is on the throne of people's lives. And that's our culture. That's what our culture fans the flame of. But Jesus calls us to a different way. Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is what? Jesus is my best buddy, my get out of jail free card? No, Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord, he's Lord. And he calls us to deny yourself and take up your cross and come follow me. He calls us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. To quit conforming to the patterns of this world. And Paul kind of sums this all up. Do you see the juxtaposition, the radical selfism versus the way of the cross? I mean, it couldn't be any more different. Paul sums it up by saying, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The sheep are called to follow the shepherd. Well, Jesus had been talking about the last days and the true and false believers. Jesus kind of lets us know what happens to the false believers. It's in Matthew 7, still in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is probably one of the most sobering passages in all of Scripture. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many people will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's like, what? How can that be? How can it be that these people were doing all these good works and they weren't saved? Well, first thing you should notice is that they were focused on their works. They are focused on all the stuff they were doing. And we don't know how much of it was all talk. You know, Jesus never said that these 
lawless individuals were working legitimate miracles in his name, he just quoted what they were saying, you know, what they came and said to him. And we know from the New Testament, from the Gospels, that many of the scribes and Pharisees were great pretenders. You know, they honored God with their lips, but their hearts were a million miles away from him. I know I have an uncle who just left his mainline church because for the last X number of years, they've been preaching radical selfism and not the gospel of Jesus Christ. One other thing I wanted to point out about these people crying, Lord, Lord, notice what they're missing. They talk about their works. Where do they talk about faith? There's nothing about faith. Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. There's also no mention of the Bible, God's word. So important to us, you know, in this church, Jesus said, remain in me and let my words, let my words remain in you. No mention of it from these people. You notice in verse 21, it says that, I didn't know how these were going to get split out, so I'll just read it to you. It says, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom. Well, back when I was 21 in college, going to the college uh, Bible, university Bible study, one of the passages that really struck me came from uh, Romans 12, doing God's will. Um, I grew up in Lutheran church, believed in Jesus as my Savior, but I had never really heard this passage from Romans. It goes like this, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here it is, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Those who do God's will get to enter into his kingdom. But the good news is here, be transformed. He will transform you as you walk with him day by day, offering your body as a living sacrifice. You know, being in relationship with him, he will help you to know. And the last piece is, away from you, I never knew you. You know, you can know about Jesus and not know Jesus. Well, tonight we've been talking about what does it look like to be a sheep versus being a hypocrite. And we talked about three things. Sheep are called to follow the shepherd. If I asked you, when did you surrender your life to Christ? I bet you a lot of you could raise your hand and give me a date. You know, 1972 at Bible camp. Some of you, maybe 1968 at a Billy Graham crusade. 
But here's the thing. I like to say, if I asked you, when did you surrender your life to the Lord, I hope your answer would be sometime in the past 24 hours. Why? Because it's not a one and done. It's a daily walk with the Lord. Second Corinthians 5, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The second thing about sheep we talk about is sheep tend to stray. They need the shepherd's guiding light. And so what are the signs of the Holy Spirit in you? I mean, Lutherans sometimes struggle with this. Like, I don't really understand the Holy Spirit too much. But let me just encourage you. Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in God's word? Do you believe the Bible? I mean, that comes from the Holy Spirit helping you to understand. It's foolishness to people who don't know the Lord. Do you feel sorry for your sins? The Holy Spirit brings conviction. That's his working in you. If you look back over the course of your life, have you seen the fruit of the Spirit? Have you seen God working that in you? Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Has he been working that in your life? That's evidence of the Holy Spirit. And here's, here's, the, here's the kicker. I've been talking about hypocrites. A true hypocrite never thinks he's a hypocrite. So if the course of the talk tonight, you felt a little bit of conviction of being a hypocrite, that's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And the last point about sheep was that sheep have no strength. They need the shepherd's power and might. And over the course of the last year, I've been uh, really looking for encouragement, finding the places in God's word where it doesn't say, get out there and emulate Jesus in your own strength and try to work really hard. And I can't do that. I fall short so many times trying to do that. I look for the places where it says, God will help you. He will help you. He'll help you. That's what gives me encouragement. He'll help us to do it. And here's a great one. So I'm going to end with this. And it's from Ephesians 3. Paul's praying for the Ephesian people. And he says, I pray that out of the glorious riches, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that's my prayer for all of us tonight that we would experience the Lord's love and power in our hearts and in our lives, that he would help us. Not that we would just try to be good sheep, but that he would fill us and help us to do that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've looked at your word tonight, we just pray that you would apply it to our hearts. We pray that you would truly dwell in our hearts through faith, that you would strengthen our inner beings by the power of your spirit, that, may, that we may follow you day by day and that you may use us 
to do many good things. I know you have jobs for all of us to do. So give us eyes to see what it is that you have us to do and give us your energy working within us to have the heart to do them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.